Hello and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. When I'm not busy failing at my adult life, Ryan, I like pretending. I control other things. <laughs> I like I like thinking I'm in control of my own life. I like to go off into dungeons, maybe fight some dragons, maybe just do a whole range of RPG stuff. Currently, the things that are beyond my control is that there is a low-level building work happening outside, which I don't oh. think the microphone is picking up, but it likes to start just before recording and i'm like well can't do anything about that so yeah bad yeah it'll get you right on office hours normally as well and just as you're getting busy yeah exactly so thankfully i am going back into work so it's all good my name is fiona and with me as always my wonderful co-host ryan hello ryan how are you hello i'm very good yes i don't have low-lying building works around me which i never thought was a positive in my life but now you explain it definitely feels like that i can't can't complain yeah when i live in the middle of the countryside so my sort of idea of noise was the other day it was quite warm so I had to keep the windows open and we had a chaffinch in the garden that was making so much noise it was being picked up on all of my recording. So oh, no. I had to redo a load. <laughs> it's just me talking and just like, it's like shush, shush. I'm busy. Yeah. I, don't, I think I've had the old bird song or two once I've been recording, like again with the window open. But right now in the last couple of weeks, it's definitely been like low level building work. So it's, it's yeah, like you said, it's between office hours. So like quarter to nine to all the way till five. So I have to either get up really, really early or just wait for lunch. And then just do it all then, essentially. So yeah, Absolutely. Or create a soundproof bubble around you that no one can penetrate, including family, for unrelated reasons. <laughs> I think that would be a good thing to do. Nobody you, comes in. I mean, you laugh, but I actually tried out. So I was in a podcast workshop recently and they said, you know, you should really try a blanket fort and like ask your guests on interviews to create their own because they'll find it really good. And I was like, let me try this myself. I did. And my God, the sound quality improved by tenfold, but I was incredibly oh, I warm as a result. Obviously, I'm just there with a small microphone and my thing. So I guess in the future, if I need to go somewhere which is a bit more echoey, I might try the blanket fort with this. But at the same time, I don't want to look ridiculous whilst on Zoom. So I know. we'll weigh up the pros and cons. I know. The problem with blanket thought is if you're doing it for sound quality and you're having to put an air conditioner in it, it kind of loses the point of it, really, with that sort of backline. <laughs> I, I, know, I know people who have like fans and so fan themselves while they do voiceovers and stuff. I'm just like, surely you just go, right, I've got an hour before I overheat. So let's just boom, 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 as it yeah. were. But or just take all your clothes off. It'll be fine. Yeah, but I kind of I kind of record on Zoom. So the last thing you need is like, hi Ryan, just don't just don't look at me whilst this I do. Is, this is something that Fiona does that always makes me laugh. We're doing a podcast. This is an audio format, but I... you always insist on having the videos on, which is which is fine. But even if I don't have the video on, you will watch yourself yes. talking. Yes. Which I find so funny. Like yeah. it's just it, is it a mirror thing. Like if you were doing voiceover work, do you put out a flat mirror in front of you and just chat to it. Like. No, I'm not. I'm not like a budgie. No, <laughs> I think for this, because it's obviously it's a conversational style. So it makes sense that I can see something. So I have something to react to in a way. And like, as I'm listening, because normally when it's just me, I just re- record myself and I don't need the call and response, if you see what I mean. So I, yeah. that's, that's how I would justify it. But also I'm incredibly vain and I need to look at myself at least five times a minute in in some yeah, sort like of a reverse vampire if you if you don't look at your reflection then it'll disappear yes and exactly it's tough <laughs> <laughs> now that we've got my vanity out of the way what are we talking about today what is our topic of choice 
So today we are diving back into the mind of a dungeon master or a general master or whatever you might want to call it, depending on what game you're playing. We're going to be thinking about making fantasy worlds from scratch. Now, we've done similar episodes before, but today in the book club, we are looking at a very, very particular book which I think is, a, I'd like to say, a friend of yours, but certainly someone you've done some work with before, but is a, a bloke called Patrick Rothus, who has a bunch of very good RPG books around world building and character building and generally making sure that as a DM, you're approaching things from less than a linear approach than you might necessarily think about. He's very good at making you think outside the box and giving you different things to play with. And we're going to be looking specifically at his book, The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide. Can by... I just quickly correct you, though? Because that, that's definitely not the author, though. <laughs> as James D'Amato, Patrick Roffers wrote the introduction. Well, of course he did. Yeah. I'm looking at the wrong thing. It's like I've got this book in front of me, yeah. and it's like, that's the first name on it. So surely Right that... at the bottom, yeah. No, I just wanted to see where we were going, just to make sure. <laughs> Patrick's name is actually almost in a bigger type font than James's. It's like... If I was James D'Amato, for, for that reason, I would be very annoyed with that. I would be on to my publisher right now. Yeah, it's page 14 that ends the introduction, because I read that as well. I was like, oh, Patrick Brothers, that's pretty cool. So yeah, I was like, oh, okay, just making there sure where go. we were. Sorry, James. James yes. D'Amato, you, you did the book, but I think the ultimate thing is that it has a foreword from Patrick and that's wonderful. Yeah. Also, the thought that, incidentally, the foreword is actually longer than the bit we're doing today. We yes. are going into the book and we are doing two whole pages, pages 25 and 26, as we talk about making a fantasy world. Yeah, so this whole book actually, a very very kind of James to actually send us uh, a copy. Certainly I sent it on to you, Ryan, because um, we actually featured uh, one of his previous books, the sort of the RPG character backstory one, the ultimate character backstory one, I think it's called, uh, where, again, we take these exercises and you create interesting backstories for your character. And this is the latest one in his series, which I think is great because, again, he is the host and a game master of pretty much any RPG one-shot thing you've thought about in the last four years, he's done a episode of it. So, and yes, yeah, so runs a one-shot podcast. And actually this whole book is incredible. And yeah, we're only doing a tiny bit of it today, but as a, yeah, the introduction of it is really interesting. There's a, there's a moment which sort of, I don't know, there's a sort of a light bulb moment for me, but it said like, world building is a living process. You never finish building a world you intend for storytelling. And that kind of blew my mind slightly because obviously we've created worlds for our own campaigns and stuff. And the fact that every time you come back to it, you still are fixing it or tweaking it or building a bit of it with your players. I actually had never thought about it like that before. So you yeah. never finish, it's a live process. It's really true. You can plan as much as you want, but it just takes one bad dice roll, one out of the box decision by a player, one longer backstory than you initially asked for. And suddenly the world has been put around and it's changed beyond what you initially expected. It is entirely true. And I guess one of the strengths of being a good runner of a game is that you need to sort of embrace that chaos to an extent and allow yourself to get swept away in other people's decisions. Because yes, it's your world and you can keep the general headline plot points that may drive a story and that's your story to tell but the actual world i mean life is infinitely complicated as it is there are so many nationalities and languages and cultures out there and in, in the real world that you will never ever even know about in your life let alone understand 
having other people's opinions and, and influences on stuff is a really natural way of building that sort of like extra excitement in, mm-hmm. even if it's just one line in somebody's backstory where they're like, oh, I've, I've done this. And you're like, okay, well, well, we'll build in a couple of side quests into a campaign where they get to explore their backstory. And oh, to do that, they need to have a hometown in a home village. And oh, suddenly that home village, maybe it's outside of the empire that the characters are in at the moment. And what does that look like? And oh, let's put some other characters in and how would they have influenced them? before you know it you've got another few reams of Mm. stuff that just came from one one line um Mm -hmm. and actually this book one of the advantages of this book is um james has done a really good job of making sure that these one lines that we'll speak about now are just incredibly open-ended you can Mm. take these and run with them in any way you want and build a world in ways that are totally outside of what you necessarily might be thinking of because your brain might work in a certain way saying okay right i'm really good at making sure i know where all the mechanical stuff is all the shops all the temples all the 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 palaces you know all the stuff the dm's book says you know you should think about but this Mm -hmm. will get you thinking about the flavorful stuff that brings your world to life there's a big debate actually on twitter recently about how much you should be asking your players to contribute to your world. So something I quite like to do in longer uh, campaigns is to, at the beginning, is to ask each player something that they've noticed about the journey so far or something that has impacted in, in a certain way. I did it for Call of Cthulhu and I did it for Ravenloft as well. And somebody sort of replied going, I don't like that when a DM does that because that means there's a lot of pressure on me to contribute something that isn't important to the game or doesn't impact it on, on the way you think. And I was I was a bit put off by that because I, I always see it as, like RPGs are a collaborative experiences. And so getting them in at the at the door, whether it's through world building or just adding a couple of details that you can then tweak so that, hey, your entrance is a bit like this, it adds to their experience. But I guess, again, it completely depends on the player, I guess. But I remember just reading this thing saying, no, I don't like that. I'm here for the experience. I expect the DM to do all the work and not myself. So I thought that was quite interesting on that book. But yes, this whole sort of world building book is for game masters, especially. But I guess this exercise that we're going to do actually does involve players in some way as well. Mm, you can very much use this to create a backstory or to give your character a little bit more flavor. It's interesting you mentioned that, actually, because I would probably veer towards agreeing with that person not not necessarily as as, as strong yeah you know as, as strong as that i do think collaborative experiences are are definitely the best but i mean my my experience is that i, I like to get people in to ask them about their characters maybe a half a dozen a dozen sessions in rather than going in from the door because i think nobody really knows what they're expecting yeah. right at the beginning especially if you're a player of a nervous disposition or dnd is not for you or there's, there's like a lack of experience and even if the dm is new Often it can be one of those things where you can give this backstory and maybe they're not qualified to then take that and, and actually run with it in a, in a way that you might practice with. Mm. Um, and after half a dozen, dozen sessions, you'll know who your players are that are really invested in it and are really enjoying it. You'll know how to sort of build stuff in. You can always go back and leave very vague backstories and be like, let's just dig into this a little bit. Like mm. now you've seen the world. Now you have an idea mm. of what's going on you've made a few off jokes and a quippy comments to your, to your party about this or that and interacting things. Let's, let's explore that a little bit. And you can dig in at that point. I, mm. I, I find it, it gets pretty good results at that point, but I think it may be, you're right. There is an element of player difference in how they approach things and how they want to, to, you know, they, they want to be told a story rather than having to make a story up themselves. Mm. It's a, I mean, I see it from both ways. But. Oh yeah, no, I, I see it from both ways as well. I guess it was, I just, I was a bit like, Oh, Again, I've always seen RPGs as a collaborative experience that you share with people and that the more 
the players put into it, the more they get out of it. And you're not, again, it gets rid of that sort of like GM versus players thing. Like, this is my story and you're just small players in it. Whereas we know that as soon as someone has an impact on your story, like we're going to talk about with world building, it changes everything about it. So I wonder, like, just setting that expectation at the beginning, just even with the smallest details and like they like have an impact in some way, even if it's not necessarily central to that beginning part of the story is something different but yeah it just it just surprised me that some players would be like no i'm just here for the almost cinematic experience i'm here for the avengers endgame i am just a civilian i have no part in this i have no influence in this so yeah yeah absolutely it's uh that's that's the joy of the whole experience isn't it there you get everyone gets to do it a bit differently and work it for who they're playing with and 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 sort of well making different worlds for different people, which which I guess is a nice segue back into this. So yeah. as I say, pages 25 and 26 is what we're going to be looking at today. Mm-hmm. Fantasy. Fantasy is one of these funny topics that people have an, uh, an idea about what it is. Yes. And I think it's more broad brushed than people realize. When people think fantasy, and certainly if you'd have asked me 10, 15 years ago, I would have definitely given you the trope of, Lord of the Rings, Rings. being what fantasy is. It's elves and magic and exploration and adventure and all of these things. But fantasy is more than that. It it literally, to to define it in the broadest way possible, is any world that is not based entirely in the real world. So Mm -hmm. at any point you add in creative license to physics of the world, the economy of the world, the people of the world, whatever it is that takes it away from that real world sort of structure, that's when fantasy begins and true life ends effectively. So you can have anything from your favorite uh, superhero TV shows to this book gives some great examples of Avatar, Last Airbender, and What We Do in the Shadows, which is a totally ridiculous TV show and (laughs) and, and film and and all these sort of things along that. But even Shakespeare, fantasy book uh, in your book, Shelf, about different worlds, different ideas, um, sci-fi, or science fiction perhaps could be this, you know, fantasy in, in a particular sort of way, although that sort of more focuses on futurism and tech and mm. all this thing. But the broad principles are, are there. Fantasy is any world in which you have given some creative license to how the world operates, be it in a fantastical way or a more a gritty apocalyptic way. There's no rules really. Um, mm-hmm. High fantasy is what I used to think fantasy was. High Agreed. fantasy is specifically the trope of Lord of the Rings, that yep. idea that elves live forever and dwarves are strong and short and orcs are evil <laughs> and wizards are wise but skittish and, you know, all of these things. That that comes from Lord of the Rings and a lot of different, um, I mean, Lord of the Rings hasn't, it's so popular that it is, it's, it's given a lot of influence to mm. a lot of the mechanisms that you see in a lot of things today, like World of Warcraft is a good example of something that took a lot of inspiration from Lord of the Rings, um, even D&D to a large extent, yeah. and how it makes orcs and, and halflings and dwarves. There's, there's a huge amount of crossover there. That's natural. Lord of the Rings is absolutely massive and, and culturally was a big thing. But mm. I think that's what you need to get out of your head. Don't let yourself think that you've got to be building a Lord of the Rings or typical D&D campaign. Fantasy is anything you want it to be. Like some of the examples I hadn't thought of, stuff like Spirited Away. So stuff from Studio Ghibli, the idea that there is the real world, but there's another layer hidden on top of it. Another book I thought about was uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Neverwhere, where it's set in London, but all the tube map is referencing other things. So like Seven Sisters are in fact 
seven sisters. Raven's Court is a court of ravens. Um, you never go across, to, I can't remember, the marketplace or whatever it is that moves from place to face and all that sort of thing. All these little things, but I have a, like, a hook into the real world. So yeah, I completely agree. I had the same thing. Like when it, I wonder again, so obviously we had Lord of the Rings like, oh God, nearly 20 years ago now as a film. Obviously it's been around a lot longer than that, but that sort of, at the time it came out, obviously had Harry Potter, the films came out then as well. So we had this sort of, here's what magic is and here's what high fantasy fantasy is. And now I'm thinking, well, what else has influenced it? Like Game of Thrones would be the other example. Because uh, obviously that again is like, oh, it's like, you know, medieval-esque sort of knights in shining armor, but also some sort of a mystic thing coming from the North. But I guess mm. for me, thinking about it, and I actually talked about it in improv a little bit, is that we have big genres, like you said, so like fantasy is a big high over one, but then as a sort of vehicle, and then we have little things in between. So when you're coming to your campaign, you're like, okay, so it's fantasy, but then what's the subgenre of it? So if you want to do like a, like, so for example, we take Dragon Heist, so that's a big heist urban setting, but obviously set in a world the overarching genre is high fantasy or fantasy as you put it but then you've got heist or a thriller or suspense or you know film noir or something like that you can put that then as a subgenre as almost like tags to help mm. sort of find your niche into that sort of uh, specialize your campaign in a way and I think that's how I like to see things now it's like okay so the overarching thing is sci-fi or fantasy or horror or whatever mm. but then finding those subgenres in it to really pin down what kind of campaign you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, and you don't even have to be defined as so going to just one of those subgenres. You can mix and match, mm-hmm. especially if you're making a world. You could have different nations or different areas or different worlds within that world that all obey different ideas. You know, a, a mountain kingdom that is very gothic horror, Transylvania esque. You could have a desert kingdom where they have embraced steampunk technology, very Mad Max style. And oh, then cool. across the waters, there's an island that actually has incredibly Japanese orientated or, you know, sort of Asian artwork and and sort of culture to it. And it, you could you could throw in as many different things as you want into your world. I think the thing to you know keep an eye on is sometimes it's it's fun to really think wide and hard about the, the broader brushed things and, and you lose track of the detail sometimes and other times it, you can get too focused on detail so this actually what we're going to do is we're going to go through this book which gives us a d20 role effectively mm-hmm. of different things we can think about to build a fantasy world and the book leaves them incredibly open-ended there are all kinds of ways you could answer something and it may change from day to day. And you may, your answers to this may change depending on either you coming back to it a few months later, or maybe your players doing something in the world and something has changed as well. So this is an exercise you don't just have to do at the start. You can do it at any point. And as you say before, this is something you can also do to help build a world, to help a backstory on a character, to give that little bit of flavor to that little bit of a side quest or that that referenced kingdom that maybe your players aren't going, but is, is sort of mm. tangential to the world that they're living in. There's all kinds of ways you can use this, but I quite like the way it's putting it up. D20 role. This book recommends that you roll a D20 for every player in your group. So the more players you've got, the more times you look at this stops you from getting too sort of worked out. But what we'll do quickly, mm-hmm. is we're going to do a skim through of, of the 20 things and have yep. an idea about what the sort of things mean. And then we'll have a go making it at the end. Sounds good to me. Going from one to 20, the first thing it asks you is, is magic present in this world? If mm-hmm. so, 
how common is it? Now, a lot of our podcasts involve Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, that is is the same game that a lot of people play, but there are obviously other systems out there that you might be building for. If the answer was to, um, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the question is quite simple because yes, of course, there's magic in the world. You've got player classes, you've got monsters, you've got magic items. The books is written kind of puts a, a middle pegging, like magic is out there, but not common. Um, and, and, and that's sort of the way if you want to have a world with zero magic in it, that's fine. It would be definitely something to think about because a lot of the systems out there might have to be tweaked and altered in order to change this. Maybe there's no magic in the world except for your players and, Mm -hmm. or very limited NPCs. So rarity of magic is a thing you could go the other way. I know we've, we've had a, a campaign in the moment where we've, we've got a world that is incredibly high magic from a sort of magitech sort of point of view so maybe it's more abundant and cantrips are something that citizens can perform pretty much Mm -hmm. at at a whim the the options here are are pretty much how magical a world you want to be if you don't want to think about it then you can just go down the middle and use whatever system you're using sort of recommends effectively we've definitely discussed other DD campaigns where again the shift of magic either it is fully magic in some sort of magitech way and it is harnessed artificers harness the raw powers and make it to make machines and stuff like in Eberron or I think is it I swear I'm gonna get it wrong like Dragonlance or something like that where again it is very rare and only those skilled enough can know it but again that sort of skill comes with responsibility and also the a power dynamic which can instantly sort of really turn its tables and I know one of our other friends Sam was in a created a world where magic was not forbidden but definitely when people saw it they were scared of it because obviously they knew the power of it and when quite a lot of your party has some sort of magic and then they just happen to use it, not thinking about it, it can really turn what would be a normal encounter, just talking to the mayor of the local village or whatever, into quite terrifying things. You might be run out of town, you might be attacked because people don't understand it. So yeah, mm. it's a good question to start, I think. Uh, yeah, when you're absolutely, absolutely. The second one I quite like as well, what major yes. event in Ms. World's history is remembered largely inaccurately? I love that so question. <laughs> it's not just what, you know, major events in the world. This is something that the populations of the world generally remember badly. And the things that immediately come to mind are not just things within uh, deity law, you know, the, the founding of gods, maybe the truth of that is, is not entirely as you might think. Mm. Perhaps it's the story behind why a, you know, monarch is on the throne. Maybe mm-hmm. that is sort of wrong. It could be something incredibly petty, like why a town was founded, mm-hmm. a city was founded, why a lake is in that particular place, why a monster was killed in some way. It could be anything to do with with sort of small trivial things but the, the the idea behind this i think is to give you a little bit of a hook to say there may be a secret behind the world that could be really important and really key to your plot of your campaign mm. or it might not be or it might just explain a lot of the stuff behind you know whatever what, what major event of the world's history well the most powerful mage in the world saved the world from big danger and was voted in thousands of years ago to rule this land and now they're immortal that is remembered incorrectly because the mage actually won via a coup and then killed everybody but remembered 
Mm, yeah. And even then, I was actually I was actually thinking about it in a slightly different way. Was it's remembered inaccurately, but not because of any fault of the people. So I've been re-watching a lot of Doctor Who recently, and there's an episode in series four uh called The Fires of Pompeii. And obviously it's referring to like Mount Vesuvius exploding, and there's like Donna Noble, the companion is like, Well, we we've got to save people. The, the, you know, the volcano's about to erupt, and people are like, No, it's not. We've we've talked to the soothsayers, it's not gonna happen. And what happens is actually to defeat the big bad of that week, the Doctor and Donna have to set off the volcano themselves in order for history to go. So it's either saving the world and killing those people who are around Vesuvius. And yes, yeah, so that's the thing for me is that you they don't know it's about to happen and they, they think, oh, Vesuvius erupted naturally and killed all these people, whereas actually it was the action of two people mm. in a spaceship. So I just, yeah, so that's how I saw it like that, is that you, it could be even people deliberately misremember it or it's unintentional coming out of the massive battle somebody is seen leaving and people just assume they did it that totally wasn't exactly. what happens to people when they die is number three <laughs> a very good one as i say normally in dnd law there are sort of set rules where spirits will effectively leave the material plane and be taken to one of the outer planes based on the actions of their life and how their spirit is sort of you know put in but you could have anything from finality where death is permanent to mm. reincarnation you could have it that you know it's actually very possible that there is a second world after this one um where people remember their first lives and and like a second material plane mm. uh, it could be sort of an option there, there are lots of books actually out there that have different concepts of what death looks like and how it feels and is and mm -hmm. you could play off anything like that i mean very open-ended question, but even just people's reactions to it, well, you know, if, if death was permanent, maybe people would treat it with a lot more fear than they did if actually if people die, they reincarnate and everybody knows it. Having that sort of finality can really shape the way people play their characters as well. If you know there's no coming back and that healing magic isn't permanent or, or like, I think I've spoken about this before, there is a, a game called Best Left Buried where essentially it is, what if dungeon delving was a real life job as if you were going into the mines? And their idea with sort of healing magic for that, or restorative, like trying to bring people back, is that it takes a big toll on yourself. So healing it, you you roll the dice whatever, and if you fail, they will come back as much as healing magic is, or or as much as resurrection magic is. But the toll is on you as the healer. So again, that idea that magic is very very concentrated in small pockets, but also it's dangerous and. If there's no coming back from it, there's no coming back from it. It's like all or nothing thing. So yeah, placing that sort of responsibility and respect, I guess, on that sort of thing, it's, it's actually quite a cool thing. And again, another early on question, which I quite like. You could throw a lot of zombie horror into this as well. Exactly. Just a simple thing of like people come back, so burn them, burn them all. <laughs> Number four is which creatures are capable of speech? Now, this is an interesting one because immediately your mind thinks of birds being able to talk or, or any wildlife oh, being able to talk. But... Equally, perhaps speech is something that not everybody can do. The masses are silent and write or use sort of gesticulative language with their mm -hmm. hands, for instance. Perhaps, yeah, silence has plagued the world and that could be the, the sort of one of the catches and interesting things to your plot. The idea of pigeons chatting to you always makes me laugh. Food, 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 food. <laughs> like, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. That's it. <laughs> It's like seagulls from uh, Finding Nemo. Oh. I always like that one. Yeah. Mine? Yeah. Mine? 
mine. I think, yeah. And I guess the other thing is, well, it doesn't say what kind of speech either. It doesn't necessarily mean verbal speech. It also mean telepathic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, the idea of a, almost like a sign language, that would be quite cool as well. Or maybe you can only communicate with um, touching other people's sort of minds, almost like a mind melding, but also just sharing memories and emotions. So that there's that the bit element as well. Again, depends on how, I guess, when you're creating this, again, like I said, it sort of, well, it suggests creating with players or including players in it. I think it's just to make sure that they know. Because otherwise, I think, I, I would assume that most worlds we create are default. People can speak and can communicate to each other easily. So getting rid of communication completely, whilst it's a cool idea, it might not be great for a long-running campaign if the players aren't comfortable with it. Uh, mm. So that's the only thing I could think of from that. But yeah, I, I still like the idea that it could inform all kinds of different uh, speech, not just necessarily verbal. Number five, what is special about the shape of the world? Well, <laughs> spheres are one thing, but as we all know, the world is flat. Yay. Mm-hmm. Rhomboid. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it could be also other folded shapes. Maybe it's cylindrical, uh, like an oval, maybe actually the like a sort of outer plane mechanism in D&D where a, a plane is less geographically based on logic and more based on feeling or the sort of purpose of, of, of your mission effectively. So mm. There could be all kinds of things, but sort of shape where things are. Perhaps mm. the sea actually is an inland sea, or there is mostly water on a planet, as, as we know well from my campaign, but all kinds of things about physically, not just the geography of the place, but also the actual shape of the map. Yeah. Um, maybe there, I think there is one of the outer planes that is just a system of cubes, I seem to remember. I can't yes. remember which one that is. It's like a warlike plane. I, it's uh, yes. or something. I, I don't know. Um, it's not Mechanus. I think it's the no, other one. Mechanus is the gears and the yeah. cogs, isn't it? But, but yeah. this is a good example. Mechanus is just like a huge com- computational machine the size of a universe. So that could be another way of looking at this sort of thing. Yeah. And I like literally reading this question, I was just thinking of Discworld. And I'm actually, I'm shocked that neither of us have actually mentioned Terry Pratchett before this, because that is, again, a great other example of a series of books all about a world, which, again, feels very like our own, but a very almost British sense of surrealist humour. And Discworld itself, um, I'm sure that I'm sure it actually has an actual plane. I don't know if it's just called Discworld, but it is the disc on, fo- on top of four elephants on top of a tortoise travelling through space. And that, that to me is like the edge of the, the range of like, how ridiculous can you go with the ship? Again, I think when, if you're creating this world with other players, maybe setting out the expectation going, okay, yes, give us your ideas, but we are okay to sort of tweak it and say, no, it's not just yes, anding everything. Because I can imagine just if you just roll those first couple of questions, it's like, there's all lots of magic. Uh, there's no communication at all. People come back all the time and we're on a giant snake, uh, almost yep. like the world serpent. And you're like, yeah. hang on. <laughs> exactly. Too exactly. many ideas. Well, it's like, as we've said this before, sometimes the best ideas are the subtle ones. Go for yeah. something that is nice and, you know, subtlety helps you to then extrapolate later. Um, sometimes the most flamboyant and crazy characters are the ones that get annoying the quickest and worlds are very similar. Like sometimes actually those little tweaks can be the most interesting because they can be really like the, the thinkers. Number six actually is a bit like that. What unseen forces have power here? You can go crazy. You can say the fish. The fish actually dictate everything. Very um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They oh, yeah. always leave one day because they're like, you know what? We're We're done. We're done flying off and and that's it. But you could think unseen forces, Illuminati, perhaps Mm -hmm. just actually behind the queen, there is a consort that is 
manipulating the strings or some sort of assassin's guild that actually had dictated the result of every election for the last 500 years. And, you know, it could be anything. Unseen forces could literally also mean the way that magic works. Perhaps there is no weave, but actually it's just the proximity to beings on the elemental plane of fire, for instance, Mm. influencing things. Yeah, that idea of unseen forces for me, I was thinking of, again, watching lots of Doctor Who, there's lots of aliens in disguise forming the political UK, like Slovene, although Slovene are terrible, fucking hate Slovene, I don't think Mm -hmm. they're funny at all. Um, But again, that's sort of, they they have the power because they're hiding in fat suits or skin suits, uh, controlling things. And I I can't remember now, when we created our own world using uh, your method uh, back in series one, um, I had the idea of like, there is the Council of Wizards headed by a mind flayer that nobody knows about. Ultimately, I think that that's uh, unseen forces always goes down to like either Illuminati conspiracy theories or aliens. So that that's what I have on my range yep. of scale for that. It just shows you where our minds are, really, isn't it? Yep. This would be a good one to put your mind at rest. Then number okay. seven: Is there a place here known for peace? Is it easy to find? Now, immediately, my brain goes to a monastery or a temple or some mm. sort of religious sanctum up in the mountains somewhere. But it could also be an entire nation. Is there a city-state that is actually incredibly neutral, very Switzerland-esque in the way that it dictates politics? Oh. In world um, but actually has kept out of every major war and because of that has created a feeling of animosity between a lot of the bigger players of the world because they're like you've got to pick a side I mean very very European history-esque in that sense but it could also be something magical as well is there a location protected by some sort Mm. of angel for instance where there is a physical presence around it an aura that stops people from fighting like a sanctuary sort of effect on people for instance and because of that, that tends to be where consulates and, and diplomatic missions get sent because it's just difficult to physically fight there. Mm. I guess the other the other way of looking at it is like, I, like for me, I was thinking when I read that, I was thinking a place of maybe natural peace or natural beauty. So again, I know you're up in the Lake District just now and all I ever see is amazing pictures that you guys post on Instagram. <laughs> but again, it's, is it easy to find? Yes, but is it hard to get to? So having a quest, almost a pilgrimage to get to these places mm. and experience it. Or maybe if it was a nation of some sort, maybe it is easy to find. You can point to it on the map, but to get into that place is, takes time and you have to go through border controls and all that sort of thing. And so having a quest to get in uh, yeah, so it's easy to find, but to get there, the journey is uh, different. So yeah, I, I, again, I like that. So it, you could either be a physical temple or a physical place, or it could just be something that's naturally formed in your world. What mystery has gone unsolved for as long as almost anyone can remember? Now, that's an interesting one. because a mystery, hard question. <laughs> it does, but it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing, you know, a mystery. It could be as simple as how did the mayor get elected? No one's mm. ever been able to sort of prove that they fudged it or sort of, you know, broke the election in some way. It could be a bigger thing. No one actually is sure how magic works or, or how healing magic works. It doesn't make any sense. Even the, the arcanists look at it and say, we don't actually know why this is. Why maybe no one knows why the world was created or why the deities exist. Um, there can be large existential questions about that but as i say i like the small things sometimes as well it could just be something as simple as no one entirely knows why the founder of the town was driven out 50 years ago but the mob remembers being particularly angry but no one's around to remind themselves something like that 
I like that. I like that. Yeah. Again, maybe just setting that expectation at the beginning, say, Hey, they could be about really big building blocks that create this whole plane, or it could be literally the small bits and pieces. And just, I think reminding people throughout that, if you're doing as many questions as this, or if you're only picking a couple, cause I think, yeah, that question for me, I was like, bloody hell. Because again, I would think about like, would it be a murder mystery? Would it be a whole range of things? I feel that question is quite, it's, it's a great question, but again, if you're unsure about world building or you don't know where to start, that could be a tricky one. I thought. The other one I thought of was wood floats and no one knows why, like even floats upwards. So when branches come off trees, they just drift upwards and people can make ships out of it, but no one knows why. Like it happened 20 years ago, the wood started floating and yeah. That's cool. I like that. That's really cool. The linked one, question nine, what is something very commonly understood and what is something considered secret knowledge? Now, again, these two categories don't have to be very different. They can be the same things, but in some worlds, they swap around effectively. Like Mm. it could be anything from the details to how the government works, to how to vote, to magic is another good example. Everybody knows how to do the cantrip mending because it's just ingrained in society that people get taught it. Or maybe <laughs> magic is totally, totally not understood and, and is considered secret knowledge and is held on to in the upper echelons of power. But it could also be something a bit more petty, like everyone knows how to cook a particular pie or how to sing a particular song or anthem or tune of some kind, or everybody knows the way up the holy mountain. But mm. nobody goes there for some reason, or like a secret knowledge is how to actually come back, right. something like that. I like that. Yeah, everyone knows three different ways to cook an egg. That's what I got from that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But none of them are the same. Nope. <laughs> yeah, everyone has three different ways, and no, there's no common link between any like yeah. scrambled. What the fuck is scrambled? No one's yeah. ever met another person who understands their exact three ways. I like that. Oh, right. Okay. Writing that down for a later one shot. That sounds great. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Number 10, which landmark stands as a permanent reminder of a major event? Describe it. Landmark doesn't have to be geographical, but it can be a mountain range, a sea, uh, abandoned, destroyed city, uh, a crater, something like that could be a good example of this. But I'm thinking also the wreck of the ship. It could be the destroyed remnants of the battlefield that has left a, a deathly taint across a land, very Eberron style, the sort of horrible tainted middle reaches of the kingdom. Um, it could be anything from a particular storm has never stopped raging in, a, in, in an area after Ooh. something happened. Um, those are the sort of things that come to my mind anyway. Yeah, like a, almost like a Jupiter eye of the storm that constantly comes around every, uh, I don't know how, what, a year is on Jupiter but yeah that you always expect it coming around oh I like that yeah like a natural structure again the only thing I could think of was like maybe um if you were trying to make a game that used to be industrial but now industry has broken away like we have obviously an industrial age in the UK but like you have abandoned uh, factories and stuff and no one really knows what they're there for what they created but they're just abandoned and exploded in some way again Doctor Who as I think came up it's Cybermen silos essentially exploded apart and no one knows why 11. How do people travel long distances in this world? Thinking about real life, walking, running, horses, cars, bikes, trains, planes, all of these are options. But from a D&D point of view as well, perhaps ships or airships are considered to be the thing. Eberron gives some fantastic examples about elemental railways and, and galleons. And perhaps it could just be from a D&D point of view. Teleportation circles are considered to be generally 
cost three and uh, available to all, or maybe in your world, the ability to travel long distances via even a horse is considered to be extremely rare. And most people mm. walk everywhere, or maybe people are long distance runners as a default, because that's the natural way that people get around through very rough terrain with a, a world with very few animals and resources. I mean, all of these different things are you could think of. I, yeah, I definitely thought like magic portals, aka fast travel, but also just because you mentioned airships and I'm thinking, oh, the only way to fly is by hot air balloon. So just imagine the sky lighting up with all these different air balloons. You're like, it takes fucking forever to get anywhere. And there's only, <laughs> you can only have two or three people plus the other person in it. So I just, no. oh, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I was hot air balloon. <laughs> I, oh, hot air balloons. I'd love to do one. Oh. I've never done one. Really want no, to do that. Me, me not. I'm terrible with heights, by the way, as well. So I'd just be like not looking at the ground at all. But we cool to do it <laughs> what is a relatively recent invention that dramatically changed the world well we've had a bunch of those the transistor inside a computer yeah, electricity generally the invention of steel and bronze uh, alloyed metals you know all kinds of things that have happened but it might just be actually something relatively recent a kettle Every single person in your city now has one and they are considered to be the luxury item of choice. Uh, maybe it's a particular <laughs> food or drink that's made from some sort of new chemical or, or resource that's been brought from an, a new world that's just opened. Maybe it's a particular spell. Maybe it's a particular magitech. Who knows what it might be, but it could be as petty as it could be incredibly useful. Like it could just be a relatively new invention that's changed the world. Fidget spinners. You know, it might just be like that. No, not, not, not the dreaded fidget spinner that no, there's no use for it. There's no purpose for it. Again, yeah, an invention that has no purpose, but it's just um, a creative or intended. I love the idea that like a flask has been invented that keeps hot drinks hot for a certain number of time and a travel kettle. That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, for me, just thinking about it, the thing that came to mind for this, um, I don't know if you've seen uh, the Disney film Onward, the new Pixar film, which was like two years ago, which is no. a, it's a Dungeons and Dragons inspired kind of thing. I would recommend it. It is actually really interesting. But the whole premise of that is that there was magic in the world and it was great. But again, that hard to learn. So people were just like, okay, but I've worked out how to turn the lights on through this invention of electricity. And so as a result, science came and magic got forgotten as well. So again, that idea of like, it's just more convenient because this is so hard to learn. And yeah, it's a great film. I actually recommend it because it, again, it's all, all the tropes of Dungeons Dragons, but with the real world put on. So rather than the other way around, where we have the real world with fantasy put on, it's fantasy with the real world put on. So I would yeah. recommend. It's on Disney Plus, so I would recommend that. 13, what is considered rare and valuable? What is common and essential? But if you think about things that, that apply to our world, metals, gems, money, uh, it could be anything to do with sort of wealth, but also knowledge, uh, political power or influence, the ability to travel, uh, it could be the freedom to make your own choices as much as it is the ability to travel between planes. All of these things could be really common or not, depending on how you wanted to see it, really. It could literally be something physical like currency or something like emotional, like what is rare and valuable is friendship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a language that's very difficult to learn that's spoken by the government. And if you don't speak it, then your chances of wielding power in a, in a nation are absolutely like very Latin, like in the Vatican, yeah. for instance, like that mm. sort of thing. Number 14, we're mm. not in person. How do people communicate? How has this method of communication affected society? You've just got to think about WhatsApp and Facebook and, and social media for, for our world and how much that's changed how people communicate. But mm. perhaps 
it's, uh, you know, just paper and pen. People still write each other letters, owls from Harry Potter mm-hmm. um, being a communication, sending spells being perhaps everybody can actually send a sending spell once per day in your nation. And that's just something that inherently people can do. Oh, who do, who do you, who do you choose for your one sending spell? It's like, who do you choose to bubble up with during the pandemic? It's like, you only got one. And if you're not the other person's chosen one, that's really awkward that you constantly sending messages that are seen, but left unread, you know, like, oh, oh, I like that. It just gets put in your head and you can't help but answer it because the next 25 words out of your mouth just immediately spiel back. It's just like, oh, bugger. It's not grandma. Ah, Ah, I'm sorry. I can't come to the phone right now. Shit. (laughs) Absolutely. 15. What fear is shared by many people across this world? What measure have they taken to guard against this fear? Now, zombies, obviously, the horror trope or or ghosts or anything like that could be one thing. There's a haunted house on the hill and people avoid it at all costs. Perhaps there's something in the sewers and the city guard have taken to patrolling the sewers as much as they patrol the streets. It could be people fear north of the wall in Game of Thrones. And mm-hmm. so they established a, a bastion of the Night's Watch to help to sort of stop wildlings from coming in or whatever it is. It could just be as spiritual as death is feared. And religion plays a huge part in the nation as religious people kind of try and help people would also use that power to sort of, I'm thinking very sort of medieval Britain as, as a sort of way of controlling the population. It could be anything like that. But you could also have like irrational fears. Uh, so a fear of uh, the darkness, again, thinking of Doctor Who yeah. or, or buttons. Um, but I'm thinking because we just did that episode in Halflings, they obviously are superstitious. So they will do things. So again, that what you commonly guard against it is actually just throwing salt over your shoulder or something like that. So it doesn't have to be a real threat. It could literally just be as irrational as a black cat walking across your thing and you go, ah, and then you have to go do something else. Darkness one though. That's amazing. Imagine if society teaches you that darkness is a bad thing. Oh, yeah. everything must be lit. And that's just part of your your sort of nationality and and you go around and all the lights are always on in your house and in the streets and every street corner is lit and like anything dark is just is just a bad thing like people put like little leds inside bags oh yeah 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 well people go missing in the dark as the doctor says um, yeah. yeah, I've been re- watching quite a lot of it, so I'm like, but sci-fi into into fantasy. But yes, really good. Sixteen. What is something you wish existed in the real world that does exist in this one? Well, it could be as simple as magic or sorceress powers or Hogwarts. Anything that you've wished for in your life that hasn't quite come true. It could also be the fact that perhaps everybody can fly everybody gets a second chance at life as we you know one wish you can make at any point in your life that sort of rewinds it for you in some way telepathy telekinesis superhero style um something as mundane as perhaps there is no such thing as a can that needs a can opener they all have ring pulls that work every time wow (laughs) it's the dream isn't it no i yeah i guess for this like yeah you can go from the fantastical to the like you said to the mundane i guess for me thinking about it i i wondered like because obviously we talked about i don't think we have talked about it but the idea that in certain forgotten realms they have a different calendar system and a different like their week is 10 days rather than seven days that we have so yeah the idea of more time or concepts like that like um i do feel the wish spell or that everyone has one wish children are going to use that up too quickly so the main again you have to tweak it if somebody suggests that perhaps but oh yeah i quite like that as a question really good yep 
17. What annual event is celebrated in many different ways across this world? Now, we've got obviously got great examples depending on your religion between Christmas and Eid and birthdays, anniversaries, national days of holiday. So in your world, it could be anything to do with the ruling parties or the people or a freedom day. It could be a geographical thing. A volcano sets off on the same day every year and people celebrate it. Or there is an eclipse, as you've mentioned before, some Mm. sort of star formation across the sky perhaps it's actually people just choose their own birthdays or choose their own days of significance or perhaps in your world there are so many days off because people just have liberal sort of ability to celebrate whatever they want that hardly anything ever gets done i was just thinking of like bank holidays and making them like at least every month however many months in your year there's always a point where the financial people are like everyone go on holiday. You're like, what? Oh, I didn't realize it was coming up. Like I always forget when bank holidays are. So I'm like, fuck, (laughs) I've made no plans. It always creeps up on people. That's the best bank holiday there. You don't want plans on a bank holiday. If you've got plans, then, oh, you have to do things. But it's it's a long weekend. Again, bank holidays, in case there's any US listeners, it's usually on a Monday. And I actually don't know why they do that. You probably have a better idea. Is it just the banks have gone, we've had enough. I think it literally stretches back to the days the banks would close. Yeah. And if the banks closed, no one bothered to go up to work. I I, I think it genuinely was that. There you go. I didn't know that. I just assumed bank holiday just was like, everyone gets day off and I always forget about them. And so I I waste my long weekend going, fuck. And you bank it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 18. How do the skies of this world look different from the sky we know? Now, you could look at this from any point of view, really, from is there even a sky? Do people live underground? Mm. Maybe you're in space. Maybe there's no atmosphere. It could be very Tatooine, Star Wars-like in the sense that there's two suns. It could be Skyrim-esque where there's moons, planets, and constellations that are much more visible. There are D&D campaigns that uh, you might have watched, like High Rollers, for instance, where at the moment he has a world where there's a sort of aurora-like cradle across the world that everybody can see at night and, and it blanks out most stars or maybe there are no stars. It is just a sort of blank world. It could be that light refracts differently and actually the sky is not blue. It's green or yellow or, or has a different tinge to it. Um, I'm just trying to think of anything else. Perhaps they're busy, full of planes or birds or there are huge weather systems that come through. The only other one I had was like, maybe it, it's like up there, like a bit like a, in Stardust, there are obviously ships that catch a lightning or something like that. So it's almost like a sea up there itself. So people will come down and maybe people can only breathe, I don't know, water up there because of the, the cloud condensation or something like that. So having almost a sea above the land mm. as a sort of other way around. But yeah, yeah, I like that idea because you could just be like, nothing is different or we don't think nothing is different and again keeping it short and simple and obvious is good if you're like nothing's changed that's also completely fine as well 19 what figure do people most commonly tell stories about how these stories told i.e books plays spoken word broadcasts etc well you can go either way on this one perhaps there's a dictator somebody in charge a mythical hero or figure like a father christmas or a sort of aragon or gandalf style figure that was important in the formation King Arthur, they may not even be very significant at all. The tales of, you know, like a Dennis the Menace style figure of, of somebody who in popular culture was always seen as the sort of the rascal that people strive to be more like. Um, and in terms of how they're said, in mean, books, plays, spoken word, broadcasts, etc., that, that sort of thing. Yeah, perhaps people receive sendings every day to remind them to worship their almighty leader. Or maybe people carry around playing cards with 52 stories on them that have little illusions in them all that remind them every day of, you know, little things that sort of pop up. 
Yeah, little affirmations, perhaps. That's good. Mm. I guess, again, again, we're not, we've gone through these questions in order just to describe them. But if you're rolling for them and that came up first and then say, for example, number two came up. So what major event in this world history is remembered largely and accurately? You could connect them, if, depending, again, if you're doing it yourself or if you've got a group of players that are building off each other. So you could say, oh, this figure saved the kingdom and oh, they're always talked about, etc. When mm. actually it was somebody completely different. It was a whole group of people working together, but this person was seen because they were seen leaving the battlefield for other reasons or something like that and so yeah using these questions and connecting the answers to them to create a big thing rather than having it in isolation is probably the way forward i hadn't i only just clocked that really no absolutely absolutely and we'll, we'll do that just briefly in a second because we're gonna we're gonna roll some dice and see how they all link together but finally yes 20 how important is technology to the daily lives of people in this world well, D&D has very little technology if you read it as per the book. It's very high fantasy, very Lord of the Rings-esque. There are worlds like Eberron that have Magitech, but that's more based in magical forces than it is anything else. But you can have a D&D campaign in a realistic world. You could play other systems. I'm, I'm thinking GURPS. I'm thinking uh, some of the ones that you've shown me over the years, um, like Dread, for instance, can be set mm-hmm. in, a, in a very realistic world mm-hmm. um, where really the, the world is irrelevant to the actual mechanism of, of the game and the tower and you know drawing, things like that. But you, your technology might be a thing where either you've got it or you haven't, you've gone fantasy or you've gone high tech, maybe it existed and it's been lost. The futuristic world existed beforehand and there was some sort of catastrophe and people had to rebuild. Mm. Maybe there was some sort of I am legend zombie apocalypse where the world is still there, but hardly anyone lives in it anymore and nothing gets made. Fallout-esque. I'm thinking nuclear disaster and people now are resistant to going anywhere near technology because of what it used to do. Um, there's all kinds of flavors of that. Yeah. And again, looking at the positioning of this question as well, when you've got the first question is magic. And I feel, again, there's that sort of thing where magic and technology, they're on two ends of the spectrum, but actually it's more of a a square or a graph that you could either have lots of magic, no technology, lots of technology, no magic, but also have high magic, high technology and stuff. So there's all different versions of it. I just thought it was very interesting that one is obviously at the beginning of the questions that number one is magic because that's important. I guess that's more of the trope in fantasy. And then technology is right at the end. Maybe people don't think of it as much as to do with uh to do with high fantasy or fantasy in general. And that there are other things like cyberpunk, uh steampunk, all that sort of thing that people would associate technology for. So I'm I'm glad it got included on there. It's just I just thought it was interesting the positioning of those particular mm. questions. As you can see, there's a huge spectrum of things to think about, but you have already twigged this. It is not picking out individual points. It is combining them that gives you the best results because that's when your imagination really starts to, to, to really sort of kick into gear. It's not just saying, oh, how, how many rare things are there in this world? It's then connecting them to other things. So mm-hmm. you and I play very often in a three-player, one dungeon master game. That seems to be our sort of thing. Four people, three playing, one running it. So why don't we do this? We'll roll a d20 for every player in your group, including yourself. So that's four times. So Mm -hmm. if you roll it twice, I'll roll it twice. And we'll we'll see what we get. And you know what? We may even get the same thing a couple of times. Um, I love the rolling dice. It's always good fun. All right. I've got 16 and I've got two. What have you got? Interesting. So I got one and I got four. One and 
four. Okay, so right, let's let's have a think about this. So starting at sixteen, then, mm-hmm. what is something you wish existed in the real world that does already exist in this one? So that was quite an interesting thing where we were thinking of, of like having second chances, or maybe even like the power of foresight or, or prediction, mm-hmm. where every time you go to sleep you dream something that happens during the day and it might be really inconsequential or it might not. God, that the anxiety dreams of like, I should have said this. No. And waking up. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That would be terrifying. (laughs) Uh. Or maybe something, something more mundane, something that existed in this world, perhaps um, the ability to fly. Maybe everybody has a has wingspan and and can, and can fly to get around. Fine. I'll go with wingspan just to, I, Bloody hate wings. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, as long as you, I guess, when you're uh, like uh, we're wizards trying to learn magic, they learn on little baby like um, training brooms and then you slowly ascend to bigger things. And maybe you have pilots who are like almost like geese formations are the ones that help fly people to yeah. uh, airports and stuff. It might not be wings. It might be my magically powered jetpacks or gliders or, mm. or, or brooms, as you say. Yeah, but it's much more of a sort of common thing yes what major event in this world's history is remembered largely inaccurately so this is one that we quite liked Mm. do you think it has anything to do with the flying maybe it was something to do with the fact that maybe a population was attacked or or invaded by somebody and it was only their ability to fly that actually saved them yeah i like that sort of thing maybe more of a um you could have like an environmental hazard that the water's kept rising and it's just easier to just pick up all your things and ferry people but through the power of flight and moving stuff across like that so i think again maybe through necessity and people were like oh we've managed to obey these big floods or whatever and actually it's very useful i can do the school run much quicker and I'm not stuck in traffic and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, actually, there was never any flooding. The water never rose, but it just happened to be believed and people still fly because it might do again, but it never did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People keep room, sort of like, yeah, room mongering that sort of like, oh, well, you never know. The waters might, you know, and there's those prophecies, those forecasters are like, oh, it's going to be complete uh, wash tomorrow. But people believe. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Exactly. Is magic present in this world? If so, how common is it? Well, I think people can fly. Yes. So we know that it's it's at least a little bit, but maybe it's not even magical flight. Maybe, as you say, it's it's technological flight more than anything else. Hmm. I guess uh, I always like I do always like the idea that there's something that does set it different from the real world. So I guess, and I we've talked about this before. I like the idea that magic is very common, but it's not necessarily the high powered magic like fireballs appear down the street because gangs are fighting or anything like that but it's like the small little things like a harry potter essentially like that to clean up you have several unseen servants and, and mages and that sort of thing so everyday common magic is acceptable i guess so cantrip magic is is like prevalent yeah i, I would say so but maybe making magic is is has like a very high cost so it's mm. sort of people can buy it if, as long as it can be manufactured on the cheap but getting anything more complicated can be expensive yeah i guess you get to have your own magic workforce in a way like you you there's it's almost a different sector for jobs and you employ people who have stronger uh, talent but everyone has a low level but those people who, who do have it can go get trained at universities or almost like um and now I'm thinking of like magical plumbers and stuff like that. You you get in a proper person to do the job rather than doing it yourself because you do not have the skills or capability to do so. Yeah. Well, speaking of workforce, the last one was which creatures are capable of speech. Yeah. Perhaps that could be that could be something related to it. Maybe actually the the people that make all of this prevalent magic are magical creatures that have been given 
sentient or can speak. Like the the forest along the side of the empire, all of the animals in it are sentient and can talk and actually produce a lot of these magical equipments for the civilization next to it in, in exchange for money or protection or whatever it might be. See, now all I'm thinking about is like building sites and builders, but they're all bears. That's all I can think about. And they're just building yeah. stuff and they're like wolf whistling. <laughs> they're just like pants on, etc. <laughs> That's just the most amazing thought. Just an army of Paddington bears making your magical skyscraper for you. <laughs> well, but yeah, but Pad- Paddington bear is such a lovely character. There's like that picture from ooh, the film. Yeah, oh bother. But it's like, I'm a bin, I'm a bin, I'm a bin. <laughs> I don't expect these bears to do. I expect these bears to be more builder-esque. But yeah, I, I totally like that idea though, that you have yeah. a Paddington bear almost middle manager-esque type person. So we've got a world where people fly to keep out of water that doesn't rise. Cantric magic is prevalent and produced by talking bears. This is Perfect. amazing. And But that, that's a sort of silly idea. But you wouldn't, if you'd sat down and tried to create that world without these sort of prompts it would have been Mm. a very different sort of experience and those rules can be tapered and you can refine them and actually make it more realistic or gritty or or even more whimsical depending on which way you want your players to go and your world to go and it's it's good every and if you don't like it try again you know there's all kinds of different you know things you can do with this book it's 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 genuinely a very good read yeah and i think the only thing to sort of sign off with is that like that's sort of what we've created just then i could easily just be a one shot or a story hook in some way that this this part and i guess as we said at the beginning world building is such an active living experience that every time you come back to it you can always change it so yeah maybe a couple sessions down the line you're like all right we're gonna gonna do, do a bit more world building and ask different questions and take those ones out of the equation and that sort of thing and or or change the answers in some way because you've developed it a little bit more well there you go that is a fantastic book by james damato not got it patrick roffus no there. i love the fact you said your friend patrick roffus i was like oh that's lovely <laughs> i i wouldn't mind uh, i also would not mind being friends that's with james fine. i've got the book in front of me and I've, I've read it and i'm just i just picked the wrong name off the cover i'm an idiot it's fine anyway as we sign off uh, ryan is there anything you'd like to plug anything that you've been up to how's things with you Things are good. Things are very good. You should come and find me on the Ursa Ryan Discord. Come and say hello, and we can talk about RPGs and your favorite worlds that you've built. Good fun. (laughs) And I am Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very well. Very well. Uh, Very well. Bluebeard's Bride is probably out by now. Uh, Lots of other things happening, NDA stuff, which I can't talk about, which is really irritating. Uh, But I'm sure it's very good when it comes out. And definitely not panicking to write it just now uh <laughs> and finally obviously um hey i hear we like books i hear you like books there is an offer code at uh, third space gaming in burnley which is your local uh, friendly local game store you can get 10 percent off if you use the offer code dmbc at checkout and that's on any of the products your first order i would say so if you if you like books if you like terrain if you like dice hey we know we've got dice with us. It will always have been reached. I've got at least 10 sets of dice somewhere, um, which you can't you use in meetings. never have enough dice. I like buying the same sets of dice and then having multiple copies that I can roll. That's always good fun. Indeed. Well, until next time, friends, thank you for listening. And I'm sure, as Ryan always says, there's another episode probably coming up just now. So just we'll... now. I think it's next in the playlist, actually. Oh, fab. Well, we'll speak to you guys then. <laughs> Bye. Bye.